You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, Wednesday edition. We have retiring quarterbacks this offseason. I think that is a huge story we have to cover today with now Philip Rivers. Looks like he's going to join Drew Brees. Retirees in 2021. There is no NFL scouting combine as we know it this year, which is going to be a huge factor in the draft process. And the draft process already odd just because of a lot of prospects and a lot of players that didn't play football in the fall, which will impact greatly the scouting process. And as some coaches get hired, it's starting to be clear who might end up in Houston and Philadelphia as their new head coaches. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. At BD Peacock on Twitter is where you can find me, my co-host Matt Williamson, at WilliamsonNFL. Matt, let's start with the biggest news of the day, and that is Philip Rivers. He is going to hang it up after a nice little run with the Colts and obviously a long career, 17 seasons in the NFL, most of those with the San Diego Chargers that became the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't know what the legacy will be for Philip Rivers. It's much more difficult. Drew Brees, Hall of Fame guy, he's got rings. Are, are we going to see the beginnings of these quarterbacks who played a long time that were really good that normally is like, ah, this is a Hall of Fame guy with all these numbers and how good they were, but didn't win it? And do you just start putting all the quarterbacks in? So Philip Rivers is a really tough one for me. Such a fantastic career, but I think the Hall of Fame field goal posts moved during his career. Great career, obviously, and I think it's interesting that Rivers is the one that pushed Breeze out of San Diego at the time, and they both retired the same year. And my thoughts on Rivers for 85% of his career, I've been doing podcasts a long time, I would often say I think he's the most underrated quarterback of this generation. And then his last year with the Chargers, I thought, man, I think he's done. You know, he looks shot. He's turned the ball over so much. He's trying to do too much, and that's not who he is. And I was very critical of the Colts for going all in on him. I kind of thought, boy, this is a great team, but I don't think Rivers is their answer. I think he's going to be a hindrance in 2020. And I was wrong. I mean, I thought he played within himself. I thought Frank Reich did a good job with them. They protected him. He distributed the football. I thought he had a quality year. But I also think, and I think we talked about this yesterday, that the probably the writing was on the wall that the Colts were looking for someone better slash younger and had the resources to do it. And you want to get bounced around with another team and probably not guaranteed a starting job. So it made a lot of sense, you know, kind of culture busts for Rivers, and it's probably a good time to hang it up. Um, as for the Hall of Fame stuff, that's close for me. I really think, I mean, the conversation, this is a big thing around Pittsburgh you get all the time too, is Eli Rivers or Ben? Well, I think that order is pretty obvious to me, but I'm in the minority. I think it's Ben, then Rivers, then Eli, where Eli had bad years. I know he has rings, but I mean, Rivers was never a bad quarterback. R Eli was often a bad quarterback. <laughs> but I think Rivers is right on the fence for Hall of Fame. I think he will get in, but... It's not a slam dunk, and when you start looking at the landscape, first of all, Drew Brees, most passing yards all time. He's number one. 
uh, 80,000 yeah. passing yards in his career. He's He's got more than Tom Brady even. Brady will pass him up if he plays another season, uh, which I'm sure is going to happen, and Brady will end up having that record unless, say, Brady wins a you know, Super Bowl and decides to hang him up himself. Phillip Rivers is fifth all-time behind Breeze, Brady, Manning, Favre, Dennis Rivers. I mean, Phillip Rivers passed up Dan Marino this year. Yeah. Those are the type of numbers that's like, okay, he's in the Hall of Fame, like, absolutely, as soon as the, the gates open when he's eligible, right? But no ring, and when you start to look at all the other quarterbacks that are putting up numbers in Phillip Rivers' era, I mean, Matt Ryan is I say Ryan top Stafford. 10. He's 9. Yeah. Uh, Stafford, 16. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, uh, 11th, and he'll be a Hall of Famer, and he's going to uh, climb up those charts and probably pass Phillip Rivers at some point um, after you know two or three more seasons. Joe Flacco's 19th. I mean, he's a top 20 <laughs> yeah, in yeah. passing yards and also has a ring, by the way. Uh, so uh, you mentioned Eli Manning, and I, I'm a, I agree with you. I think Ben and Rivers are both better quarterbacks than Eli Manning, but Eli Manning has the rings, and he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. He played in New York, yeah, yeah. you know, TV commercials. Phillip Rivers doesn't have that. So I think it's going to be fascinating with Phillip Rivers, especially uh, not having a ring versus Eli and Ben. Yeah, and... If I'm voting against Rivers, obviously it's postseason success, rings. And never did I think he was a true tier one. Even on his best day, he wasn't as good as Rodgers, Brady, Peyton Manning. You know, I mean, um, he was always a very strong tier two guy to use some Mike Sando tiers or whatever. But for a really long time, and you're right, I mean, passing yards, there's inflation involved here. Passing yard isn't what it used to be in the 70s. You know, I mean, they're a lot easier to come by. You can buy a lot less with 100 passing yards today as you could in 1970. I mean, it's just watered down, obviously. But, man, it's a long body of work to be an upper-tier starter. But my worry is, and I do think the, the Hall of Fame's gotten a little watered down lately, to be honest, but if Rivers goes, should Ryan? Like, I don't think of Ryan as a Hall of Famer. Right, and and that's that's the tough part of this is because I don't think how long you played and I don't think yards and, and things like that, just the raw stats are going to be enough anymore. I, I think you have to have been a part of something, and that's where Phillip Rivers falls short. Um, I don't know if in five years we'll have a better perspective on those types of things, if more quarterbacks will have thrown for more yards and, and Philip Rivers' career won't be as impressive. Uh, right now, it's insanely impressive, and, and I would put him yeah. up against some all-timers, right? But then once he gets passed up by Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford, and, uh, I mean, Alex Smith is 27th on the all-time passing yards list, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is 30th, right? So there's a lot of quarterbacks throwing for a, yard, a lot of yards right now, and I think playing deep into the postseason is going to start to even have more value than it already did when it comes to quarterbacks specifically. Yeah, you might be right. And you think about in history, there's guys like, Bob Greasy in the Hall of Fame that won but put up no numbers. Or I hate to say this, but Aikman too, although I think mm -hmm. Aikman could have if he was in a different system. You know, like uh, there's obvious value in winning. And I, I think that will be an interesting conversation. I didn't mean to go down this road, but I just wanted to throw it out there. And it's going to sound really mean. I don't consider Breeze a tier one guy. Like obviously he's a Hall of Famer. Like oh. people, people are to be like, what are you talking about, Williamson? But I'm talking about like since I've been knowledgeable about football i'm gonna say since like 1980 on if i'm ranking quarterbacks breeze is probably in my top 10 but near the bottom and i only say that for a couple reasons again i mean this is 
prettiest girl to beauty pageant type of thing. But I mean, he played in a dome, which to me takes a little away when you look at Rogers and Favre and Ben and Brady and all these guys from the North and the wind and the elements year round. And I, this is my kind of my big take on hall of fame is if I'm a defensive coordinator, like I always use this example for like Calvin Johnson, who's coming up and that's coming up real soon too. Like I would rather guard Marvin Harrison or Isaac Bruce all day than Calvin Johnson. Well, I'd rather play against Drew Brees than, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, Steve Young, even, you know, like some of these guys are just such dynamic playmakers. I can buy that, but I don't think he doesn't belong in their tier. Even if he's behind some of those guys, I think Drew Brees is a tier one guy. Um, I think he is sort of the opposite of Phillip Rivers in a lot of ways where there's a lot of reasons his team his team's won a lot of games. And the other, the thing that hurts both Drew Brees, it hurts Phillip Rivers. It hurts guys like, you know, Frank Gore is kind of a similar conversation with running backs yeah, as Phillip Rivers yeah. is with quarterbacks. You remember the end of their career. And a, a lot of people that, that debate the best wide receiver of all time, those who think that Jerry Rice isn't easily number one were probably the ones that saw him play when he was 42 years old while Randy Moss was <laughs> in his prime, right? It's it's That's what you remember. And it's hard to remember the younger years when they were, they were more dynamic and they were um, they were willing their team to victory. They were precision passers. They were, you know, everything that you want in a quarterback. I think Drew Brees was that for plenty long of a time in the in the NFL and, and was a Hall of Famer um, easily and was uh, among the best couple of quarterbacks in his career the whole time and had seasons that were better than uh, Rogers and had seasons that were better than Tom Brady and some of his contemporaries who might even rank above him in the all-time list. So uh, to me, Drew Brees is an easy one, and and I would put him in the top tier. But again, like you said, the ugliest girl at the beauty pageant. Um, yeah, he's behind Favre and he's behind Brady, but that doesn't mean he's not at the top tier of all-time quarterbacks. Maybe he's just behind a few guys, which is totally fair. I kind of regret how I opened that statement because the – I think he's a, he should be a tier one guy, but the bottom of the tier, if that makes sense. Like okay. tier one guys are no brainer Hall of Famers. Breeze is a no brainer Hall of Famer, obviously. I just would rather play against him than maybe nine or ten others of this era. Peyton yeah. and Brady and Rogers and Favre and you know Marino and Montana. I mean right. Elway. I mean you can make a pretty the list gets pretty full pretty quick. How about this little nugget on Breeze though? I mean people forget how bad those defenses and special teams were in new Orleans for a lot of his career. Every time the saints gave him better than a bottom five defense. Like as long as his defense wasn't horrid, he took them to the playoffs. Yeah, that's yeah. See, that's, that's where it is right there. That's, that's what it's all about. And I think that's where it's so much clear that drew Brees is obviously a hall of fame quarterback where others like Brett Favre is a little bit more difficult and uh, the Eli Manning one's going to be interesting because I agree with you. Eli Manning doesn't even belong in the conversation with those guys, but he's got the two rings. No, and so he gets right. to waltz right in. You know, he gets to moonwalk into the into the Hall of Fame. He played in New York. Uh, everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows his famous last name. And uh, he has two rings. So he gets to say, you know, he gets to pass up a lot of guys and say, look, I get to I get to wear that jacket. And I'd much rather play against Eli Manning than any one of these names we mentioned. Oh, yes, including Matt Ryan. For sure. Um, Matt Ryan is a good comp for Eli Manning. Matt Ryan, in fact, is about to pass Eli Manning next year in the all-time yards list. Uh, If Matt Ryan had that ring in 2016, maybe would we look at his career a little differently? 
I bet he would get in with that, which is crazy. I mean, again, I didn't really plan on having this conversation. I'm not <laughs> taking away what ring means. And this comes to mind with Breeze, too, because people don't understand how hard it is to win a playoff game. Like, if you're a little over 500 in the playoffs with a winning percentage, you're really doing well. Like, Drew Breeze, he's either 10-9 and all-time or 9-8 and all-time in the postseason. He's one game over 500 over a pretty big stretch of games. And people are going to hold that against him. But, man, winning in the playoffs is tough. And you had to get to that many playoffs in the first place to even yeah, you know, right. lose some games. And you win one, and then you lose one, and you're out. So everybody who doesn't win the Super Bowl gets a loss in the in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I mean, of these 14 teams that are in the playoffs this year, 13 of them are going to end with an L. That's exactly right. Well put. Okay, we got to move on to some other things. There's no combine this year. Looking at some head coaching vacancies in Houston and Philadelphia and who might be leading those searches next. You are unique and so are your taxes. The tax code is one of the most convoluted things. It's hard to keep up with changes year to year. So being able to navigate your personal tax situation easily and quickly is paramount for a lot of people. And TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who listen to you, learn about your unique tax situations, and answer your questions. And on top of that, they can do your taxes from start to finish. Maybe you started investing and want some reassurance from an expert that you're doing things right. Maybe you're now self-employed and need some expert advice on what qualifies as a home office deduction. No matter what your situation is, TurboTax Live's tax experts can answer specific questions walk you through the process, review your return before you file, or even do it all for you. TurboTax Live gives you confidence that you're uniquely you. Taxes are done correctly. Intuit TurboTax Live. File with the help of an expert or let an expert file for you. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. Talked a lot about Hall of Fame and legacies and stuff like that, but I, I do want to finish that conversation and wrap it up really quick, Matt, before we go on to the next subject. Congratulations to Philip Rivers on a fantastic career. We kind of jumped the, the yeah. boat with, you know, arguing about maybe Hall of Fame and some of those credentials. I think we should definitely pause those things for, for at least a bit and say, congratulations, fantastic career. I don't know how it's going to look in five years, but um, Philip Rivers was awesome for a very long time. Yeah, it was a blast to watch him for this long, too. And I mean, it's quite a group of these quote, old quarterbacks now, I mean, that are all going to be going out in the next year or two. But 
Uh, again, congrats. He has been a phenomenal football player. Yeah, we're going to talk I a like lot. like how hard he plays, too. Yes, yeah. The way he played, I think, was fun. He, he was a fun player to watch. And you could always count on him, given, given everything you got, which I'm sure the fans of his teams he played for, uh, the Colts this year and the Chargers forever, uh, appreciated that. Um, how about this little nugget, BP? My first year at Pitt, we played against Phillip Rivers and NC State in the Tangerine Bowl. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, how did that game go for you? We won. We won. Oh, that you was, beat Philip. See, nice. Philip Rivers can't win the big one. Can't win the Tangerine Bowl. Can't win the Super Bowl. He didn't get that ring either. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, who was uh, Pitt's quarterback? Uh, we had Priestley at the time throwing to Antonio Bryant. That was the year oh. before Larry arrived. Okay, Antonio Bryant. Oh, that's year, right. Yeah. It went from Antonio Bryant to Larry Fitzgerald. Yep, we won uh, Bolitnikovs. Two out of three Bolitnikovs with those two. That's amazing. We weren't bad. In my last year there, I think we finished like eleventh in the in the and put out like seven or eight pros that year, including Larry's draft class. Went nope. to three bowl games in my three years. <laughs> hey, you should have stuck around longer, man. Build something. Uh, build something there. The stupid Browns pulled you away, and then uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Such is life. You got to move on. Yeah. Can only make twelve grand a year for so long. <laughs> yeah, that's the other part of it. People talk about. Uh, people uh, hit me up all the time about. Yeah, hey, you're you're pretty good at the draft stuff. You should go into scouting. I'm like, I, they can't afford me. I can't start. You know, I can't start there. What do they call it in the NFL? It's twenty five for twenty five, right? You get twenty five year olds that are willing to work for twenty five thousand dollars a year, and um, that's about what I was for yeah. twelve grand a year, then twelve grand a year, then they bumped me up to eighteen, which was unheard of. They were uh, GAs at Pitt. We're always a grand a month, but they couldn't let me go for that third year. So they bumped me up to 18 grand. That was a big deal. <laughs> that is a big deal. So yeah, the, <laughs> the scouting game is rough, man. And that's why some of these guys uh, really have to run through the gamut of, of being a scout and then working their way up. And uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to get there in that industry. It's, it's a crazy industry in football, by the way. I think if you pull back the curtain, a lot of people would be blown away if they were actually in facilities and see how those things go from the from the bottom to the top. Because we, we only hear from the top guys. Exactly. And that right around that Tangerine Bowl time when we knocked off Philip Rivers, um, I figured out I made like 78 cents an hour or something like that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he oh put a lot of hours. Gosh. You essentially, uh, you know, you're a paid intern, I guess, is the way to look at it. Yes. And I could have taken grad classes, but that was frowned upon. Like, why would you be? They were free. That's part of the graduate assistant thing is go take all the graduate graduate classes you want. But then you're not at the facility, and oh. then the coaches kind of frown at you, right? The, oh my gosh! I always thought that that was you had to take the classes. So all these grad assistants well, aren't even taking the classes. My position was weird. Our offensive GA and defensive GA did have to take a class, and they did one. I could take as many as I wanted, but for some reason I didn't have to, and I did not. Interesting. Okay. Not sure how that goes, but wow. I did not. That is very interesting. Okay, well, so you've been the process through the process. Uh, you've seen the college side of things. You've seen the pro side of things as a scout. What does this mean for NFL teams with no combine this year? And and they're gonna have to rely heavily on pro days only, which is less um, less reliable information. Way less. I mean, I think it's a big conversation because people need to remember the origin, the origins of the combine. There's a reason it's in Indianapolis. It's very easy to get to for everybody. It's flat. They have a very big convention center that can hold all this. It's built for conventions in that area. And it's not too far. And I think there's like a dozen or maybe even 15 NFL cities that can drive to Indianapolis. You know, like mine's a five and a half hour drive, straight shot. 
very easy to get to. And it was, and this is when people weren't flying all over the, the country. And, you know, the, the, the reason this con the combine was created was get every team doctor in the league to all use their, their, their powers and combine all their information and to sit down and talk to these prospects. And then while we're here, maybe we should have them run a 40 or do a vertical jump. And people only think about those numbers, but the medicals and the interviews are really important. And that's one time with the medicals where they share all their information. Now, from what I understand, like you can bring a team doctor to a pro day, but it's not going to be all this shared information. It's going to be harder to come by. It's got to be a lot more cumbersome for the players as opposed to having one day of just getting poked and prodded to no end. And then there's the other aspect of like two attacks of Iloa last year, goes to the combine, doesn't do anything, but then they bring them back on a medical recheck like a month later or whatever. Is that, that won't exist. I mean, there's 30, 40, 50 prospects that had something wrong with them that they want to bring back again to Indy and poke and prod them and share all that information. So the medical stuff really scares me without a combine. And then just having the athletic testing all be on the same track with the same timer. Yes. And because it, it was already a situation where when people didn't run at the combine and then they ran, you know, a stupid time at their pro day. And it's like, where did this information come from? Who was timing them? Who had their finger on the stopwatch? Was this like the agent saying, oh, yeah, he ran a four, three, five, you know, one of those things. So um, and and for everybody and uh, there's going to be more teams and more people, more scouts and more personnel and coaches traveling to these pro days, I assume. And so that'll be yeah. difficult. And I don't know if those facilities want that many people there, you know, because there's a reason there's no combine. So do you just want a whole bunch of people in all these different places instead of all in one place. So uh, there's a ton of questions I have about the combine and, and big picture with all of it. Does that mean the draft picks in 2021 will be less valuable because it'll be more difficult for teams to make those evaluations or is it a competitive advantage for teams that are really good at this thing that can steal, you know, a top 50 prospect in round five? Cause everybody's got different information and, and a lot of teams are going to screw it up. Yeah. There, there's far less data and there's way less game film. You know, some of these guys didn't even play this year. I mean, the people that opted out and a couple notes on that. I mean, mentioned my career in the past. I mean, I was a scout for the Browns for a year. And when I would go into colleges and talk to other scouts and sit there and watch tape with them, I quickly realized that I was a rookie, you know, that this was my first go round. Some of these grizzled dudes have been doing it for 40 years and knew every trick of the trade and knew which admin to talk to or the lunch lady that knew the knew all the inside dirt at Auburn or, you know what I mean? Like they knew every trick of the trade and I quickly realized I didn't. And to me, and this is true for last draft too, the teams was very experienced you know, with continuity um, front offices and scouting staffs are going to have a huge advantage. You know, just they're going to have better information where a lot of the information used to be the same. It's almost like fantasy football. Like if we pulled 12 of our listeners, we'd probably all draft about the same in the early rounds because we're all working off the same list. But back in the day when there weren't lists, I had a huge advantage over my buddies because I was smarter than them in football. You know, now I don't, in the, especially in the top 10 rounds of a fantasy draft. And I kind of feel like it's back to the olden days where people don't have as much information as shared information that the teams with the inside scoop are going to have a real advantage.
I have some more thoughts on just how this non-combine offseason will shake things up for the NFL draft, make things already weirder than they are already going to be for the second straight draft season, and coaching searches. Who's out there for Philly and Houston next? There is no end to things you can bet on, sports and all kinds of other things, at betonline.ag. Whether it's playoff rounds, Super Bowl, futures bets, NFL draft, the NBA season is in full swing. You can find all of it. Get in on the action at BetOnline. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. By the way, the lines are already out for next year's NCAA football championship game in 2022. Not surprisingly, Alabama is the favorite. Clemson, number two, four to one odds with Georgia, Ohio State, the usual suspects there in college football. Can there be a Cinderella? I'm seeing Iowa State up there, maybe Cincinnati at 66 to one. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code locked on to receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Man, I'm praying for these vaccines, Matt. This COVID thing is getting pretty old, and now we're seeing the cycle of a full year almost play out completely. The Combine was the last big event last year that went down before things really got strange. It's going to be a fascinating draft season. I can't wait how it all shakes out. There's going to be a bunch of quarterbacks in this class. Maybe that'll make teams more likely to throw those picks in trades to try to move up and get a quarterback, someone that they can spend a lot of time with and maybe have a better feel for some of those QBs that that played a lot this year. And it's probably going to hurt a, a player like Trey Lance, who played at the FCS to, level. Right? He only played one year at the FCS level. And I love his 29. The more I watched Trey Lance, I was like, oh, yes, I love this prospect. If he would have gone to Ohio State instead of Justin Fields and played for those two full seasons as a starter, I think he'd be a slam dunk number two pick. But there's just more questions with him. So I think that's just going to solidify Fields and Wilson as the next couple of guys. And I'd be surprised at this point if they're not the one, two, three in the draft with Trevor Lawrence, because I think teams will have the tape and teams will put so much effort into it if they need a quarterback and, and they will have all of that information and it's going to be a little bit bigger of a gap this year in in what that solid round one prospect is that you feel good about versus the next tier of guys. It's just going to be really up in the air after that. So you might see teams more willing to trade some of those day two draft picks just because they're not as as sold throughout the process on as many prospects. Yeah, and maybe you trade picks, you know, trade my third round pick this year for a second next year because I think I'll have better information. I got a better chance to hit or... You know, teams that are in salary cap hell, I'll send you my third or fourth round pick for that starting guard that you can't afford anymore. But I got a lot of NFL tape on him and I know who he is and he's not going to hurt me in the end, you know, or uh, might be more willing to deal their first rounder or, I mean, I I think this, you got to evaluate things a lot different and you're right. I mean, the, the drills in Indy, there's value to all of them going on one after another, after another, after another, you know, that assembly line of seeing all the different wide receivers run the same route and doing it on the same surface and the 40 times all being on the same surface. Like, I don't want, you know, some weird track where it's outside wind aided and super fast and it's apples to oranges. Yeah, it was, is it Virginia Tech? that was always the one who was like the 38 yard dash. It was like, come on, they'd always have the craziest <laughs> numbers coming out of there for the pro days. And I know teams know these things, you know, like they've been doing it a long time and 
they adjust for each track and whatnot, but that can't be a perfect science. And some of them are outdoors and wind is a, a factor. And uh, I mean, come on. I want the, and I heard Tom McShay actually talking about this the other day too. And he's hundred percent right. Like sometimes a guy will go to the senior bowl, which is coming up and they'll have 34 inch arms. Then he goes to the combine and he has 34 and a quarter inch arms. Like that didn't change. Or he's a, you know, <laughs> Tyler Murray was an eighth inch taller each yeah. time he got measured. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's like, why you got, why you got so much hair uh, on the very top of your head and not on the side of your head? I wonder if you're trying to get that measurement up just that one quarter of an inch. <laughs> right. So right. Yeah. So, I mean, they're small details. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're fighting over hundreds of a second and whatnot, but it is nice to see everybody on the same surface, the same, you know, approach. And who knows, maybe if you throw out the 40 time people make less mistakes so maybe people won't rely on Probably. that information which maybe is is overblown and not that important in the first place maybe the smart teams do take a look at this covid situation and realize boy we should value tape more than numbers and especially like wide receivers i mean the best wide most of the best wide receivers in the league run like a four five five you know Devontae adams right yeah you, there's like you a know? there's a cutoff i just saw a recent study about the cutoff for for receivers that are too slow and everyone always points to i ran a four seven you could be the next anquan bolden well it's like no if you look at 20 years there was a one anquan bolden that's it with all the prospects mm -hmm. that ran like four six one and and slower or four six five and slower but if you were between four four five and four six that's where all the best receivers are then the guys that ran Four three two are also not that great. It's almost like you you yeah. biomechanically you can't break down and make cuts if you're too fast and you have that too long of a stride. So um, you see both sides of that. Maybe too fast, maybe too slow. In a lot of cases, you just want the guy who's fast enough and they can do everything else. So it's almost like a checkbox, not not getting more and more credit for how fast you run. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned this too. I mean, for those that aren't going to have big pro days, the Bamas of the world, like. Are they going to have their agent or someone just film them run 40s and run 100 of them and send the best one into the teams? You know, like the, right. they're not going to show you the bad stuff. Yeah, you only get two shots at the at the combine. Right, right. And there's something to that pressure and everyone's looking at you. And that's a long ass day. I mean, when I was with the Browns, I had to wake up all the tight ends and get them to where they needed to be and, and kind of witness their day to some degree. I mean, I only did the beginning parts of it, but. That's a long ass day and those guys are fatigued and they can say they don't hate it, but they hate it. And in some ways it might help or it might hurt prospects who do the thing where they train for, for power and, and size and they want to be as heavy as they can for the combine and look good in a, in a, in with no shirt on and just wearing shorts. And then they cut five pounds when they run at their mm. pro day, you know, so they don't yeah, have that right. opportunity to sort of change how they look and, and how they time the two different events they just have to train for the one pro day now yeah because there is some you know i'm gonna i'm gonna lose a little water weight i'm gonna look super cut i'm gonna look great in my underwear everyone's gonna be gonna be body beautiful but i'm not gonna run because i'm a little too heavy you know mm -hmm. and along those lines think about all the guys that opted out you know like they haven't been doing football stuff they've probably been doing combine stuff and now there's no combine yeah i wonder if this will maybe even skew things into better workout numbers because all they've been doing is working out for an extra four months, five months, run, run an extra forties. I assume. Yeah. I, you know, I, I assume a lot of those guys, especially the ones that knew they were going to come out, uh, had already. Yeah. And a lot of those guys are already doing it. There's so many specialized coaches now and working on footwork right, right. and working on all the stuff that you see on Instagram. That's so impressive. So 
So, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff there. This is going to be a fascinating draft season, and I think a lot of uh, smart teams, a lot of teams that are good at it, will have even an extra advantage this year. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, real quick, we didn't talk about the coaches yet, and it's not set, but it looks like, according to reports, Josh McDaniels is a, quote, prime candidate for the Philadelphia Eagles coaching search, although they have interviewed a ton of people in Philly, and I don't know how close it is if McDaniels is truly leading that. Um, and in Houston, uh, is it Eric B. Enemy and Leslie Frazier? It sounds like it might be down to those two with the Houston Texans. Right, and... Both those guys are still playing, obviously, when uh, playing against each other, come to think of it, with the, the KC offense against the Bills D. And so maybe we get something after the AFC Championship game happens. Um, but that's the hunch I get, is that that is now a two-horse race, and I don't think either one of those guys is really in the Philly gig. So then Philly has the luxury. Like It's nice to be the first team to hire a coach, because maybe you grab the, the cream of the crop. But it's also kind of nice to be the last team because you can take your time. There's no one else going to grab your guy. Um, you know, you, you can work on staffs and things like that a little bit more too, maybe. But my hunch is, and this goes back to Watson, and I don't think they're doing this just to appease Watson with Frazier or Biennemi, but I would think they're both pretty Watson-friendly coaches for two reasons, really. Well, three reasons. Both they're they're, they're extremely qualified it's a totally new style of coach in that building in that it's not Patriot. And I don't think you can ignore it because Watson brought this up that he was really hoping, or I'm not exactly what his sure his words were, but he wanted somebody that was a minority that, you know, took that very seriously in the, in the, the, the public and was an, not an activist, but that was important to Watson. And, you know, both these guys are, uh, African-American. I mean, I'm not, they're just not going to skirt around it. And yeah. they're both highly qualified. And I think most importantly, they're not patriots. And I think for Watson, it was just the fact that they needed to interview more minority candidates and that it was, yeah. you know, they hired a white GM out of nowhere and another Patriots guy. And so, yeah, you could see why Deshaun Watson would look at that situation and look at the process and say like well wait a second now what what is what is actually going on here and and so um i think all of those things are are very important and factor in and i don't know who knows maybe it's too late maybe watson already knows that look i can't trust the decision making process at the top and that means it's going to be a bad organization and i need to get the heck out of here so maybe it doesn't even matter who they end up hiring as a head coach but maybe they hire the right coach and watson ends up staying that'll be a storyline that is definitely not going to go away matt that we will continue to cover here but tomorrow we've got to start looking at those championship games afc yeah. nfc championships is down to four teams in the tourney we'll have our friend chris raybon of the action network talking about his favorite bets for those championship games tomorrow right here peacock and williamson